live from the mist and shrouded mountaintop fortress that is X and Y Communications Headquarters. You're listening to the world famous Mountaintop Podcast. And now, here's your host, Scott McKay. Hello and greetings to everyone out there all across the Fruited Plain and indeed all over this big, beautiful, wonderful world of ours. This is Scott McKay from X and Y Communications coming at you again with another episode of the world famous Mountaintop Podcast. Guess what, gentlemen? Today, we're going to throw down. This is going to be an episode like none other. We are going to talk about futurism. We're going to be talking about the future of dating and relationships and sex, and not just the next five years or the scope of maybe the next decade or so. We're going to dare to dream about the far-flung future. It could be amazing. It could be wild. It could get downright ugly at times. I really don't know the twists and turns that this particular episode is going to take, but I do know that my guest, none other than dating coach Jason Silver, has been thinking about this stuff and been fascinated by it as much as I have lately, which is why he is the perfect guest to have on. Jason, all the way from uh, Chi-Town. How's it going, man? Good to see you. Thanks so much, Scott. That was such a great introduction. You made me excited to hear the show. I'm hyped. Well, listen, man, you're going to have to be an active participant in this because I can't do it alone. There's too much to talk about. <laughs> okay. Well, let's do it. Let's talk about this. Yeah, stuff. man, let's dive right in because we got a lot to cover. Before we dive in, I just, I have one thing to say. Everyone that I try to talk to about the singularity, about the technological revolution, they look at me like I'm just some crazy conspiracy theorist. But to me, it is absolutely insane that everyone is not talking about this, that everyone is not focused on this. Because if you think about it, what creates technology? It's technology. So the tool that creates the tool that creates the tool is growing exponentially. And it is just insane to me at what's happening at the growth and the rate of technology that people aren't even looking 10 to 15 to 20 years, let alone 50 years into the future to where our children and grandchildren are going to experience because the actual changes are are mind boggling. I can't even I, I can't even think about it. When you think about it, it's like this big rabbit hole. So I, I think what we're talking about today isn't just some fantasy sci-fi craziness, even though it might sound like that to some people. If you look at what's actually happening in the world, this stuff is very real and it's going on right now. Oh, yeah. You know, I absolutely completely agree. I do think the term conspiracy theory tends to be a little bit loaded and can be manipulated to mean whatever negative thing you want. I do think there's absolutely an oligarchy of people out there who are controlling what the future is going to look like. And the rest of us are either too lazy or lack the creativity to even care. So most people effectively are letting the future happen to them without much thought to it. And I think we're going to cover some things that really are going to represent a bit of a wake up call to the human conscience about, man, this is what our world might look like in the future. And it's just going to be flipping crazy. I mean, Jason, you know, to that end, 40 years ago, you would tell people about 3D printing and smartphones and even, you know, the World Wide Web, and they'd look at you like you had three heads. You know, nobody even saw that stuff coming. And now, yet, here we are. What you said was so interesting. I, I just started reading a little bit of Nietzsche, the philosopher, and I don't know much about Nietzsche. So I, I think what has made me most interested in Nietzsche is the idea of master versus slave mentality. And what you were talking about before, people that are lazy are not thinking about what's actually going on. And people create all sorts of different belief systems about what they believe the world is, whether it's from a religious perspective or whether it's just a how the world works perspective, where Nietzsche, I think, was saying, well, instead of just projecting this idea of what we think the world is, let's actually try to seek to understand it. So by saying that God is dead, from what I understand, the idea is that people have stopped seeking the truth and started to rely on social media or the mainstream media or what other people say versus actually doing their own research and looking at what's actually going on. And that's why I love talking to you because you're definitely someone that is is seeking the truth and is willing to think about things in a different way. And I always find that fascinating. Well, likewise, man. Good to talk to you, too. Social media, you brought it up. Let's go there. Uh, social media has allowed everyone, literally, who cares to, to be their own media outlet is what happened. I actually did a talk on this back in 2008 about how Twitter was going to allow you to be literally your own media outlet. And I almost got laughed off the stage. 
But that's what's happened. I mean, this was before celebrities other than, say, MC Hammer <laughs> were, were actually using Twitter to actively spin their own messaging and their own public perception. Nowadays, you have people who are just normal, run-of-the-mill human beings anonymously on Twitter saying whatever they want. And whenever a certain message resonates enough, other people join on. And the next thing you know, that opinion becomes the truth. It does not get tested in any other court other than the court of opinion. That is so true. And for me, it's been really interesting becoming a, a dating coach and making this my career. I've started to understand the concept of becoming an influencer in the world. And I've started to look at how people market themselves as influencers. And what I found once I started diving down the rabbit hole is people out there that are really popular that may even have written New York Times bestselling books uh, calling themselves doctor, right? And being very well known, being interviewed in mainstream media, being respected by politicians and celebrities, you kind of look underneath the surface and do a little research and you realize, wait a second, this is someone that got their, their degree at a diploma mill. Wait a second, this isn't actually an expert at all. This is just someone who's really, really confident and good at promoting themselves. And you start to look at people like, Ryan Holiday, who used to be, I think, the marketing director of Abercrombie and Fitch when he was like 19 years old or something. And he created, I don't know if it was for Abercrombie or other companies or influencers, just a bunch of fake stories <laughs> in the media, which blew these companies up. And he basically talked about how you can completely manipulate the media to become whoever you want to be. It is fascinating to me. And I'm curious how that is going to grow or change in the future as it becomes easier to self-publish and become a celebrity. Well, one thing you mentioned there is the whole circumstance surrounding the perception of expertise. People are realizing that expertise isn't necessarily the alphabet soup behind your name. It's what you know and what you're capable of and where your talents are. You're seeing a rise in women going to college and men not going to college. Is that because men are being kept out of college or because more people in general, especially men who have ambition, are realizing that, you know, my ambitions aren't going to be best served by sitting around, you know, singing Kumbaya to get a piece of paper after four years at a social club. I'm going to go out and make a name for myself, and I'm going to use technology and the internet to go drive my success in the future. Now, my actual question to you in terms of the whole idea of internet and social media is we've already started seeing the impact on relationships. Dating apps, as we've talked about frequently on this show, have made the whole idea of dating almost obsolete. I mean, it's very superficial. You make a snap judgment on someone and you decide whether you like them or not, and you're very much spoiled with options. And what's happened there is in combination with the whole idea of Facebook and the digitalization of relationships rather than face-to-face -face relationships happening as often is you know more people at a more superficial level. And I think this is already damaging our ability to have a deep, connected, intimate relationship with anybody. What do you think the future of that holds? Do you think it's going to get worse before it gets better? Or do you think this whole house of cards is going to ultimately implode and people are going to go, this is crazy, I want real relationships back? I think it's going to implode specifically because I think things are going to become more transparent. I think the problem that's being created right now in social media is that people are marketing themselves in a very fake way. And eventually, people are going to realize that and it's not going to be as entertaining or as attractive when you're just looking at someone's pictures online because you know all of the fakeness. Now, maybe I'm I'm wrong and maybe I'm having too much of an optimistic thought that it's going to all become more transparent. It could go the reverse way in which people can get better and better and better at faking their lives and faking their personas. Uh, but my hope for the future is that things become way more transparent and that you actually can't hide your reality to other people. Oh, I think it absolutely is going to fall apart. I think it's going to implode. I think people are going to say, you know, enough is enough. This isn't even real anymore. But where I struggle in this thought process is how you roll this back. You know, in other words, once we say, my God, what have we done? What do we do? Well, I think that people are going to look for security. That's going to be the main, the main motive, the main primal force that's going to drive people in relationship is a feeling of security. So my assumption is that marriage, the institution of marriage, which seems to, seems to be falling apart. 
I think is going to be strengthened and people are going to look to a belief in marriage as a savior for relationship help. So in other words, at least there's one person who gets me. There's one person who gets me who I can trust. Yep. In this whole world. Then the rest of the world can be digital and fake around us and, you know, damn the torpedoes. Yeah, we, we are together. We've got each other's back. I've got my family. I think that the family unit will become stronger and people will will use that as strength to move through this world. How do you think the sanctity of marriage will evolve? Obviously, morals are getting relaxed a little bit more around sexuality. Uh, more people are becoming what they would self-characterize as sex positive. More people, even average people, have more opportunities for more sexual interaction with more different people all over the world than ever before, hence the greater opportunity to be unfaithful in a marriage. Being faithful in a marriage is getting harder, not easier, and more and more people are saying, why be faithful anyway? How does that intersect with this whole idea of wanting one person who is going to be trustworthy that you can have this connection with? I think it's a great question. However, my bigger thought I don't know the specifics of how marriage will evolve, but I believe that it will be an institution that will come in that will tell us that will make sense to everyone because religion is not innovating at the same speed as our society. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And we've actually had a guy on this show who agrees with that and talked about it at length. Interesting. So I, I think that people are looking, people are seeking for something with that level of strength, with that level of history behind it, with that level of meaning to apply to their own life. And they're leaving religion and they're seeking. And what they're finding is Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. They're finding <laughs> these higher powers within these social media celebrities that are not sustainable, that are not holding any kind of long-term sustainable values that are very shallow, that will bring sadness and comparison and jealousy and envy. And so I think that eventually something, whether it's religion that evolves or something else is going to come in and tell us this is the way. And I think the population will jump on it and condemn all other thoughts. Well, here's my thought on that. And I'm going to go ahead and issue a caveat to the audience right now. Gentlemen, we are not going to cover everything possible. You're probably going to be throwing your iPod at the wall going, you guys left this on the table. How could you not talk about that? But I'm going to go ahead and say right now, Jason, it's okay to jump around and have this conversation and let the fur fly. And guys, just please remember, there's no way we can cover this whole subject. Now, if you want us to cover things in the future that you think we should have dug into more, absolutely write me at scott at deservewhatyouwant.com, and I will take all of your ideas under consideration. But I want to say this because you brought it up. I didn't expect to have to go here on this show. I will say that you can talk about futurism all you want. But God is the one thing humans will never figure out. Otherwise, it would cease to be God. And I think that will be to the frustration of more and more human beings as we become smarter and smarter and more technologically advanced. And more people would want to just basically say what Nietzsche said, which is God is dead. Let's just forget about it. But I think that's sweeping it under the carpet. I think people will remain spiritual. I think they will be looking for answers when in reality – that answer may not be something that you can figure out and put in a box. Now, that's to the great celebration of people who have faith in the higher power, but also to the frustration of people who would like to dismiss the possibility of that higher power. Now, I'm someone who is actually deeply spiritual and uh, very involved in the Jewish religion. And saying that, I'm wondering, what do you think is going to happen if people find out we're all in a big simulator? You think at that point... <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that would be where my entire thought process on this would come crashing down, wouldn't it? We're all in the Matrix. Well, then who created the Matrix? I mean, you know, it's like the Big Bang Theory. Well, who created the thing that went bang, you know? But what I think they tell us? <laughs> that's what they reveal everything. There's a big, there's a big uh, reveal. There's a big altar call, right? For lack of a better word, a big come to Jesus meeting. Yeah, I think that's really, really fascinating. But, you know, it's kind of like something that uh, Stanley Kubrick put forth somewhat indirectly in 2001 A Space Odyssey. The one thing they couldn't figure out was that big black monolith, and they couldn't wrap their head around it. And, and many people think that represented God, you know, in Stanley Kubrick's thinking. But anyway, let's change the subject. Let's get back to what you were talking about before, which is the whole idea of people wanting more intimacy, even as it's being stripped away from us at breakneck speed by technology. If you go to a place like Japan, you're seeing the opposite trend. Men are not 
interested in having sexual relationships with real women. Uh, the birth rate is really going down over in Japan. They're really worried about the future there. Is this because men and women don't know how to relate to each other anymore? I mean, what about the impact of HD full video porn on demand where you can switch girls, you know, by the second if you want? And now that ability being escalated to full on virtual reality. And that's not going to stop. I mean, sex simulation for many men, even here in the year 2017, is not just better than the real thing. It's dramatically better than their real thing. Where does that stop? Or does it? Well, you asked a couple of different questions there. Sure. And I think it would be fascinating to have some kind of a researcher on your show to talk about Asia and what's going on with relationships over there, because it's just Agreed. crazy what's going on. But in terms of virtual reality, it's only going to become more and more realistic. Now, before the show, you explained to me the difference, which I thought was interesting, between virtual reality, augmented reality, and uh, mixed reality. And I don't know if you want to explain that really quickly. Well, yeah, I mean, it might be good for guys just to save them having to Google it if they're not into this like we are. Virtual reality is basically inserting yourself into technology, right? Augmented reality is the overlay of technological elements into your daily reality, okay? Mixed reality is the indistinguishable mix of technological production and reality. Now, as we talk about some of the ideas that may or may not happen in the future that we dream about here, I think the actual objective ideas surrounding what we're talking about here will be fleshed out more. So we might as well dive in. But like, for example, you've already got porn. That's amazing. You already got virtual reality. You can already insert yourself into a movie and it feels like you're there. Okay. What about virtual personal appearance, which is something I coined about 20 years ago that maybe you might be able to call up a hologram? You know, why go to a strip club when you can have an HD hologram of a girl getting naked in front of you, performing for you on demand? I mean, that would be porn literally in the privacy of your bedroom looking as a 3D image in front of you. And don't think like Star Wars where it's like flickering and, you know, all blue. This would be full HD in the surround. I mean, think about it. We're talking about the future here. Anything goes. So that's what comes next. Then, of course, after that, this is something that I think you mentioned, is the whole idea of your sexual satisfaction being augmented by technology. And so the augmented reality of masturbation, of self-pleasure, can actually become as good, if not better, than the real thing also, right? Theoretically. Well, you brought up a couple of things there. You said, first of all, you talked about the strip club being, you know, like the real thing. However, if you hear dancers talking about how they game men and make the most amount of money, it comes through developing this kind of fake relationship where the men think that they're actually attracting these women into something serious. And I'm just curious, as these types of things become more realistic, well, it's also a sure thing. What happens to the challenge? What happens to the chase? What happens to the suspense of, is this person attracted to me? Are they attracted to me for me? And feeling that kind of validation of being able to attract someone. And I think you're losing that through robot porn. Oh, I think you're right. And I think that that's something that people won't see coming. I think a lot of men will be blindsided by that because on the surface, it sounds great. It's like, oh my gosh, this woman is my willing accomplice. She'll do anything for me. She serves me. Uh, this is great. But then they're going to realize that that is empty. I want women to want me. Now, a lot of guys, they don't really feel a whole lot of affection towards women. They're just horny. And they may be able to ride off into the sunset with all this technology and be perfectly happy. But I agree with you. I think most men are going to want connection. So, a lot of futurists have actually talked about the whole idea of robots becoming our sex partners. Uh, it has been purported we may even have relationships with robots, possibly even marry robots. Now, it sounds silly, but what happens when robots, when Android technology becomes so absolutely advanced that robots are indistinguishable from other human beings? When they interact with you, have emotions... Uh, you know, you have sex with them and they feel like a real woman. What happens then? They're still robots. So this is the part that scares me is what if 
the robots understand the male mind and the psyche and the neuropsychology of what we need so well that they realize that we need to be vulnerable and that we need to feel judged and that we need to feel accepted and understood. And they innovate and optimize to be able to give us that same experience. Well, why would they not program that into these robots? I, I, you know, I don't know exactly. And at, at that point, what happens? Well, we become obsolete to each other. Humans become obsolete to other human beings. I mean, think about this. You want to really, really get deep? What happens when the robots start falling in love with each other? If they're that much like humans where it's indistinguishable, that could theoretically happen. There has to be a part of me that believes, and I don't know if this is me projecting my hopes or if this is real, that there is something different about a human element that when you look into a human's eyes, I don't care how realistic these robots are, that there's something about the soul or the spirit of a human that you can differentiate. Unless we get so technologically advanced that we figure that out and program that in too. What if you can have, I'm thinking of that uh, Robin Williams movie where he starts out as a robot and turns out a human being at the end. That is really a crazy movie. A lot of guys haven't seen that. And it's kind of silly because they have the robot that looks like Robin Williams at the beginning and it just seems really stupid. But when you actually watch the movie and realize what it's about and what it's like, it's really a freaky movie. Because what happens is the robot is created in a year where that's the technological ceiling, you know, for robotics. And then the robot is upgraded, you know, technologically with new software and new hardware upgrades. So that's human. <laughs> it's crazy. But I mean, if I get your drift, Jason, what we're kind of getting around to asking here is won't humans put a stop to that before it gets out of control? Well, we have a very poor history in that stuff. I mean, look at nuclear weapons. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of things humans should have put the kibosh on and we didn't. I think this is the big fear and what everyone's wondering with the singularity is what is actually going to happen, right? What is going to happen to the human race? What is going to happen when artificial intelligence becomes that advanced? And I, I don't know. I think what's more uh, interesting and coming sooner is is the augmented reality where biology, our biology merges with technology and the women that you're dating are going to have technology merged with them on, in some way, shape or form, whether it's being able to see things like Google Glass, except biologically inherent mm -hmm. or something similar. And that is going to be able to analyze you and the situation and what you need. I think that is going to become more common more quickly than actually completely replacing humans with robots. Oh, fair enough. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. And again, you know, we're skipping all over time, space and dimension here. But I would argue that there is already augmented reality that's affecting our sex lives and our dating lives. Heck, boob jobs are augmented reality. Birth control is augmented reality. Viagra is augmented reality. It isn't necessarily limited to something like us all having a heads-up display next to us saying, oh, okay, well, here's the real age of this person. Here's their complete medical history and everything you need to know. I mean, that may end up happening, and it would certainly contribute to TMI on first dates. But I think there are more subtle ways that quote-unquote technology in the broader sense is already affecting us and our ability to date and our uh, experience of relating and dating to each other. Well, I think one of the biggest with sex is pornography because it's so widespread. It's so real. The video is so good. And I, I believe neuropsychologists have said that when you're, you're masturbating to pornography, that it's actually having the same chemical effect on your body as if you're having sex with a real person. And that has to create some kind of a disconnection between ourselves and other people. It has to somehow be uh, providing an out for us to actually develop deep intimacy. Well, for the guys who would feel that way and be okay with it, it would be all the sex with none of the drama. So – that's one way of looking at it. However, I will say, and what we were talking about before in terms of sex with robots or relationships with robots not being completely fulfilling, you know, I had this personally, this experience where I had spent so many years, several years to learn the art of dating, of seduction, of relationships until I finally got like a hot girlfriend and, and I thought that my life had achieved the pinnacle of success. And within 60 days, I was the most depressed that I had ever been in my life because the relationship wasn't healthy or real. It was built on 
this fake version of myself. And what I've discovered, and I think people are going to realize over time, is that through deep vulnerability is how we can actually create the most amount of intimacy, which can give us the highest level of fulfillment. So you can try to protect yourself from being vulnerable or from dealing with quote unquote drama. However, I believe that the ultimate pathway to deep, true fulfillment is through vulnerable, intimate connection. Oh, hey, man, don't shoot the messenger. I was just talking about the way things might end up seeming for a lot of guys. I mean, in my life, I'm happily married and have a woman who I'm deeply connected with. So I think it would be an absolute shame if it ended up happening that way. I agree with you. Won't men find that out? Won't that information be more widespread and apparent that having these relationships will spur depression or will spur disconnection? I think that eventually people are going to seek that deep level of fulfillment. People are always seeking. Well, I think they already do. I think guys are drowning in porn and have deep-seated bitterness towards the women who quote-unquote rejected them and are playing the blame game. And yet, in our stubbornness, we're never going to admit to what the reality is. I mean, you have the whole, I mean, I vlog this dead horse on this show all the time, but the men going their own way movement still talk a lot about women because that's what's consuming them. So I think a lot of times, you know, humans in general, I mean, women, same way, hardcore feminists who hate men, they're always going to blame someone else and they're not going to get to the root cause of what's making them miserable. Ergo, they stay miserable. So, I mean, that's human nature. Here's the wrench I want to throw in the works, though. Why does it have to be either or, Jason? I mean, I can have a wonderful wife, we can have a deeply connected relationship, and we have a humanoid robot in the closet who we can plug in. Who? We can plug in. I mean, who is it a who or a that? What pronoun? <laughs> and have a threesome on demand. Maybe I can reskin the robot. Maybe I have a male one, a female one. Maybe there's an attachment that I change the female to a male. Different programming, different hardware. Will my wife in the future see that as a normal part of our life and not as cheating? Is having sex with a robot cheating? Does that change in some way when the robots become more human and more relatable? It seems like it never ends. You know what I mean? Just with the robots. And you're talking about mixed reality. Okay, that's the merging of technology with the outward reality. Now, what you could argue is that means they end up becoming one and the same. You know, the technology, the projection onto your reality is the reality. Here's one. Here's something really deep. What if technology gets to the point where I can skin my spouse however I want and make her look and feel like any other human being in the world I want her to be? I can have variety sexually with the same human being because I'm mixing the technology in with the reality and literally crafting her into whoever I need her to be without her even having to know it, perhaps, while we're having sex. And she could do that to me, too. Okay, so you're, you're bringing it up a, a lot of things here. So the first yeah. thing that you, you brought up, which I thought was interesting, is this idea of if we bring a robot into the sex life, is that cheating, right? And I think right now, if you brought a robot in, it would be a sex toy. But eventually, I think it's going to morph into there's this cognitive bias uh, anthropomorphism, where we yes. attribute human characteristics to animals or objects, right? right? And so we do that with animals. Like a dog is licking us. We say, oh, the dog loves us, but really it's probably tasting salt, right? And it's <laughs> just yeah. uh, licking because of that. And so I think the same thing will happen with robots. The robot may respond in a particular way because it's been programmed to do that. And a certain amount of people will start to believe or project that this robot has these human characteristics. And then at some point in time, I don't necessarily believe that a robot can become human or become like a human, even if it's fully mapped a brain. I think that I believe it's just going to be a deep cognitive bias within humans that we are projecting that these robots are humans. Well, be careful, because 100 years ago, they didn't believe that a box could talk to you. I'm talking about television. I'm talking about movies. 100 years ago, that was unthinkable. 200 years ago, if you would have shown somebody an Airbus A340, they would have been freaked out beyond recognition. So, I mean, it's you so know, crazy. 200 years from now, this is like, you know, nobody wants to hear actors talk. <laughs> you know, it's going to sound really dumb for us to doubt it. I mean, especially with the breakneck speed that things are, are headed towards. But to get to your point, life is already, think about this, life is already incredibly difficult for women with an insecure, jealous streak. I mean, it's almost unbearable. Think about how bad that's going to get. If you want 
your man not to ever look at another woman, et cetera, et cetera. Just wait till the robots and the holograms and the mixed reality. And, you know, you can't just close your eyes when you're having sex and pretend she's someone else anymore. You can theoretically make her into someone else. Well, and vice versa. I think the world is incredibly hard for men that have a insecure, jealous streak as oh, well. you betcha. You betcha. And, sure. and, and I think that regardless of what relationship you have, if the other person is finding a level of intimacy in a sexual or sensual way outside of their partnership, I believe that that's going to lead to a problem within the relationship, period. Now, there's there's certain things and there's certain ways for us to experience intimacy with other people in a very appropriate way. We experience intimacy with our family, with our friends, and just communication and relationships. But if you're in a monogamous sexual relationship and you're starting to experience an intimate sexual relationship with another object, I think that that can absolutely create some major problems in a relationship, especially if it's done behind the other person's back or, or not consensually as a partnership. I think we'll condition ourselves as the human race to be ready for it and to do How? it. How? Well, think of it this way. Automobiles. We think nothing of hurtling by each other 65 miles an hour in the opposite direction. We do that going to work in the morning. In the year 1900, that would have been absolutely unthinkably horrifying. Well, nowadays it's commonplace. That's because we've conditioned ourselves as human beings for it to be normal. We hop on an airplane and go 40,000 feet in the air, and most of us aren't really all that scared about it anymore. But it doesn't make a lick of sense, and it's horrifying. I think the nature of how people look at relationships will have to evolve to make up for that. People may go crazy, and there may be more people in therapy than ever before. But I think you're even now looking in some ways how the whole idea of looking at relationships has evolved. I don't think I, I just can't see it being widely accepted as being OK. If you there was you might find this interesting, Scott, there was uh, there's a neuroscientist from Northwestern Business School and he studied decision making. And basically, he believes that the human uh, that human beings making decisions it's like playing a game of pac-man where you think you're playing and then all of a sudden you realize you're on the you know beginning title screen and it's playing yeah. on its own right yeah. and we only have a limited amount of decision making and of emotional energy on a daily basis so we end up running on autopilot subconsciously and that we think that we're making all of these decisions but we're not and my idea is that if we start investing emotional energy into objects versus our partnership, then that is detrimental to the partnership. And how can that be accepted as okay? Well, I think you also have to remember that technology is going to be feeding us more and more information about how to make those decisions. So the overload factor is going to get worse, not better. And I think what will happen is whoever the thought police are, whoever that oligarchy is that's controlling the future, they will be the ones who condition us to believe what we should believe. That now, is terrifying. For example, well, no, it, it's already happening. Now, what I'm going to say next is at the risk of looking politically incorrect, but before I even utter it, consider that it is politically incorrect nowadays to say it. Ten years ago, you could make fun of gay people. Nowadays, you better not, because you are the problem if you make fun of a gay person. Homosexuality is expected to be completely mainstream, and, you know, it's much more accepted. When I was a kid in school, we called each other faggots all the time. Being gay was a very bad thing to be. Nowadays in high school, kids are proud of being homosexual. Nowadays, it's almost shameful to be a heterosexual man. Being a gay man is a lot more safe to women. Look at how people have been reconditioned. Now, you can say, of course, that this is for the good, right? I don't think we should be shaming homosexual people. But look how little time it took for those who are most influential to influence almost all of us to change our thought process about homosexuality. You have women being a lot more openly bisexual. Now, here's a question for you in the future. Will men ultimately embrace bisexuality the same way women do? Are we all going to end up being gay and straight in the future? And are those lines going to be blurred? Now, for my part, I can't imagine being gay. I can't relate to it all. I am about as heterosexual as it gets. But is that really something that in the future can be influenced on a grand scale like that? Well, it's an interesting question. And I don't 
fully understand how we're evolving as a species if it's changing our sexual preference. I believe that the reason why it became such an easy thing to influence society to accept homosexuality uh, is because it was already a part of our society and people were hiding it. And it was these older belief systems that were basically uh, condemning it and making it bad. But it was it was more of a natural part of society. So it was really just pointing out an old belief system that was flawed. And I think that's why it became so natural. Moving forward, I don't know how we're evolving. I can't imagine that someone, and this is just me me saying that, I can't imagine that an influencer is going to change how people sexually identify. You know, something I think is interesting is, you know, you have people who would argue for homosexuality being genetic. And then there are people I've talked to who've confided in me that they really would rather be straight, but they've turned gay. And, you know, I think we've all heard about somebody's girlfriend breaking up with them and turning lesbian afterwards. So who's to say that, for example, men won't loosen up and maybe embrace the idea of homosexuality, at least in greater numbers sometime even in the very near future. And I personally don't see it happening in my life. I feel like I'm very firmly heterosexual. But I think it will be easier for people who are bi-curious to go ahead and explore that, more so as time goes on. That's 100% accurate, I believe. Yeah, yeah. A couple more thoughts on robots. What about robots as surrogate parents? What about getting the robot pregnant with your kid and so the woman doesn't have to be with child, you can kind of pass off the pregnancy to the robot. We already have in vitro fertilization. Why not have robot surrogates? What about ultimately in the far-flung future? And here's another mind blower. Hybrid human robot offspring. In other words, you are having sex with robots and the robot gets pregnant with your baby and that mixed reality baby is born. Now that is a mind blower. But again, who knows what they're going to be able to do with genetic engineering in combination with bionic technology? Crazy, right? Well, I definitely think that there's going to be a disruption in the pregnancy industry. Okay, I think that even if you look at all of the risk factors nowadays with getting naturally pregnant versus going to a fertility doctor and having things meticulously crafted to make sure that there's that you're removing genetic disease, that you're increasing the opportunity for twins, all sorts of different things that you can genetically design and engineer into pregnancy. It actually makes sense. It actually makes sense not to have a natural birth from a health perspective and from a risk perspective to both the mother and the child. So just knowing that and knowing our ability and knowing the way science is innovating, I think there's going to be a huge disruption and people are going to start preferring to avoid natural childbirth and move towards uh, genetically engineered childbirth. Well, hell, based on what you're telling me now, the idea just popped in my mind that these robots who are getting pregnancy don't have to be even humanoid. They can just be pregnancy pods. You have a whole bank of them <laughs> with your number on it. Come get your kid in nine months. Oh Bing, my gosh. Ready. Where are we headed? Who knows? That'll be wonderful for all the women who don't want to be pregnant. They can go out and go skydiving and drink beer. And but I don't even want to talk about the future of food and alcohol. It'll be crazy. Um, but anyway, um, a couple other things I want to get to because they're just, you know, face melters. The first one is, you know, you have a lot of extreme feminists talking about how we don't need as many men in this world. You know, maybe we should call the population of men so in the angry feminist eyes, we don't have to deal with them anymore. And we can just have a big female party. Well, wait a minute. What if that becomes our idea? What if we as guys in concert with these women who are angry at men go, hey, you know what? That's great. Let's call the population of men. Because now if there's only 10% of us who are male, we're going to get laid a lot more. We'll be able to have a whole harem of women. Uh, You know, we'll have the power back. And the feminists will have gotten what they wanted, which is fewer men. But now all of a sudden, men are more powerful because they're more in demand. Ha! How about that? Never happened, I, right? I don't have anything interesting to say on that one. I have no, <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know any of these women that you're talking about that wishes there were less men. I'm, I'm sure there's out there. I'm sure there's men that want less men as well. Uh, oh, they're extremists. You can you can go Google it, and there's women who teach in their their classes at college that we should call the population of men. They're just 
they're blowhards. But it's an interesting idea that if we can genetically engineer ourselves, we can genetically engineer our population. Well, that's interesting. Which leads to the ultimate face melter that I want to get to here, which is halting or even reversing the aging process, which we know they already have technology that's reaching towards that. Okay. How in the world will that impact dating and relationships? To me, that's the most crazy stream of thought ever. Impact of the war on masculinity is men not being so masculine, therefore not being as attractive to the feminine, less babies being born. That has been hypothesized to be part of the problem in Japan that we alluded to before already. Uh, we talked about the mainstreaming of homosexuality. Well, you know, being homosexual is fine, but at least until technology picks up a little bit more in the far-flung future, at least in the near future, homosexual people will not be able to organically make each other pregnant. Is this all part of a grand scheme that's a few chess moves ahead for population control pending the rollout of halting and reversing the aging process? Because, Jason, let's face it, no one's going to agree to be part of getting ready for halting and reversing the aging process when they're not planned to be part of that process itself. In other words, no one wants to be sacrificed at that altar. So you can't just go tell people, hey, you know, we've uh, figured out how to halt and reverse the aging process, uh, so some of you need to not live, and we need to make fewer of you in the future. It would be mayhem. You know what I mean? Yeah, I... I'm still caught up in that first statement that you said of how is reversing the aging process going to affect relationships? How is it going to affect, how's it going to affect us as people? How's it going to affect our our preferences? Because eventually, I mean, 200 years into life, you're going to start getting bored and you're going to want to start experiencing (laughs) new things. So, you know, I mean, listen, if I'm living on earth, I'm a straight man, but 400 years into it, I'm going to get bored. I'm going to be like, listen, what's this, what's this gay thing all about? (laughs) Uh, that sounds it. Let's let's try that out. Four hundred years into it. See now, you, I'm laughing out loud because you're on a completely different train of thought that I was going to go down. I know, but I love I it. I got caught up. I'm sorry. It was just no, too much. no, no. I, I think you bring up something amazing. You're going to get bored with whatever it is you've been doing for the last 250 years. I mean, it's a quarter of a millennium for heaven's sakes. You know, I want to try something new. Plus, I mean, technology is going to spin out of control as we get older. I I almost said age, but you're not aging. You're just getting older. Here's the one that makes me laugh. Here's the one that really like makes me shake my head and, and reach for a beer. If you halt and reverse the aging process, then you look youthful and you are youthful for your entire life. That means everybody is sexually attractive because I'm making the assumption here that we're going to be able to genetically alter ourselves so we're all beautiful and healthy. Okay. That's a given. Okay. That's the whole point. So everybody's beautiful. Everybody's healthy. It's like going to Australia. Everybody's just a gorgeous human being. So now you have organically 23-year-old people who are finding someone who's 470 years old incredibly hot and sexy. The problem is that 470-year-old person has so much life knowledge, so much experience, and so much wisdom that there's no way that they can relate to the mere 23-year-old. Now, that calls to mind an even larger question, which is, imagine the elitism of the older people towards the younger people. I mean, right now, right when you get enough wisdom, you start getting old and senile and you get sick and die. And unfortunately, you know, there's like a bell curve of how useful you are in this world. And unfortunately, the people who have the most life experience are all often less in a position because of being old and decrepit to impart it. But when that obstacle is removed, Can you imagine the elitism of people who've been here since, you know, 2150 and it's now the year 3000 versus people who are still being born? Will people still be born? We're going to have to have blown ourselves up before this happens. Oh, I think so. But it's sure fun to think about it. Yeah. I mean, there's no way we're going to make it that long. Can you imagine being a poor dude who's only 68 years old and you're trying to hit on a 350-year-old woman who's just hot and she just absolutely owns you? I mean, can you imagine how quick on her feet she's going to be by then? It's just going to be wowzers. Yeah. Right? I mean, if we're, if we're going into that, uh, that thought process, I don't think it would matter to you, right? If someone physically looks that age and has the wisdom of a 350-year-old, I mean, how attractive is that? You know, I mean, it's just – it's all the social overlay of knowledge. But then again, you know what? By then, once we get to that point, you're going to be able to inject yourself with any knowledge you want. And so you'll basically 
grow up, I mean, childhood, I mean, can you imagine how rare children will be? You grow up, you get, I don't know, is it augmented reality or mixed reality at this point? I don't even know, but you take a pill and you know everything. Everybody speaks every language. We're all speaking one language by then. Who am I kidding? Okay. And, you know, it's becoming a big sex fest. I mean, you, yeah, you can probably use the mixed reality engineered within your being to turn on and off your fertility anyway on demand. I mean, you know, STDs, get real. We're going to be way past that. We've cured it all. It's just going to be a sex fest. <laughs> You'll probably be able to engineer how big or small your penis is on demand. All that you can already stuff. you can already do that to a certain extent. Well, yeah, it depends on how hot she is, right? <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, I think this has absolutely gotten out of hand, and we should probably <laughs> probably end the show before we just need some kind of drugs to keep us sane. It's been real, though. You have anything to add? Do you have anything we didn't cover that you want to cover before we close? Let's see. I mean, just looking at the at the very near future, uh, I think that we can expect the dating scene to continue to completely change over the next 10 to 15 years in a very massive way. Already in the past 15 years, we've moved dating to basically online, which I don't believe is even dating. I don't even think you're dating someone through quote unquote online dating. I think you're marketing yourself to them. And I think it's not until you meet them in person that it begins to date. And I wonder uh, in 10 to 15 years, how is that even going to change? How are we going to uh, engineer or position ourselves to other people in the best possible way? And how much longer will it take to actually get to know someone? Or will it be the opposite? And we'll be able to much more quickly figure out exactly who someone really is through the transparency of the internet. Well, first of all, I agree with you wholeheartedly that there's a difference between dating online which is living vicariously through yourself and having this person somewhere else who you're allegedly in a relationship with. And I'm sure as a dating coach, you talk to people all day long who do that and think they're actually in a relationship when they're kidding themselves. Online dating is simply a way to get two people in front of each other in the way they would organically have done had they just met at a bar or at a grocery store or something. It's just to get you to that point. But here's what I thought of based on what you were saying. What about the future of ultra rapid transport? You know, if you can get from here to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia in 20 minutes, that's the end of long distance relationships as we know it. And I would also argue, by the way, that it would be the end of cross culture as we know it. I think there would end up being a global culture if it was that cheap, free and easy to essentially teleport yourself all over the world. You know, it'd be a big mixed culture. We're seeing that already. I mean. You know, Americans are eating sushi and, you know, everybody's appropriating everybody else's culture. I think that will speed up. But yeah, man, imagine if you could get on some kind of vehicle and be in Europe 10 minutes from now. You could date anyone anywhere in the world. Imagine how spoiled for options you'd be then, right? Crazy. I, I just watched a, a YouTube video on the economics of Elon Musk and how he is going about innovating things. And basically, he's trying to, to one-tenth the cost of these different industries like the rocket industry. And if you look at the cost of rockets and that now they're reusable, that's how, how he's actually saving a ridiculous amount of cost is he's landing the main rocket so he can reuse them and he's creating and manufacturing all of his own parts. But the point is, uh, I believe the rocket industry is going to be the future of transportation and we're going to be able to make it much, much more affordable so we could just rocket our way to another part of the world. So what you're talking about, although it sounds crazy, with just transporting ourselves, we're actually closer to it than everyone thinks. Oh, yeah. And that's Elon Musk's baby. That's what he's really most interested in. Yeah, it's fascinating. That's his uh, specific niche in futurism. One thing we haven't talked about yet, and I'm going to keep this really, really brief because I think we would be remiss if we didn't bring it up, is cloning. I don't know if we'll ever really want to clone ourselves, but I have a feeling it's already happening. And if that becomes inserted into the mainstream, then what happens is once we halt the aging process, you can basically have a zygote of your spouse on hold in the unfortunate incidents that that spouse passes on or gets, you know, killed somehow. You could just fast track the clone somehow through engineering and whatever technology is available into adulthood and basically replace your spouse and have a database of their knowledge and put it in there. Yeah, I can't even I can't even imagine that. I mean, to me that just <laughs> sounds 
that sounds crazy, and yet it's dastardly. You know, it sounds insidious, right? Yeah, all this stuff does, but a lot of stuff that's already insidious is going on in this world, and that's I mean that the is true. Thought of all, yeah. Well, it's been great talking to you, Jason. This could be a multi-part. We got a whole podcast just on this. I mean, we produced episode after episode. I think guys are really going to like this conversation because I know I have a lot of really smart, deep thinking guys out there, and I think this is going to be right down their alley. Now, Jason, you work mostly with women, and so I want to go ahead and point guys to your website anyway in case they know any women who could benefit from working with a guy like you. And I've uh, pointed that website to www.mountaintoppodcast.com, front slash silver, S-I-L-V-E-R. And uh, Jason, once again, I thank you so much for what's been a really entertaining conversation. This will go down as one of my favorite episodes ever, at least in terms of the content. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. You're you're an interesting thinker, and I look forward to. I, I think you should bring in more uh, technologists who have a lot more experience than I do in the future. I I would listen to them uh, night and day because this is coming, and it's coming much quicker than we think. Well, on the other hand, though, a lot of guys talk about this in a wonkish, technologically focused way, and I think it's a little bit refreshing to talk about futurism in terms of humanity and sociology. I think this has been really sort of cool because of how different it has been. Yeah, I, I think it was awesome. And, and I appreciate you having me on. And I will talk to you anytime you want about the singularity in the future. Awesome. And guys, if you haven't gotten a copy of my brand new program, Invincible yet, please go to mountaintoppodcast.com front slash invincible. And uh, if anything, this will help prepare you for the future where you will need to be more confident, more bold, and definitely more dominant in dealing with the women who want you to be attractive to them and who you want to attract in return. There are lots of great segments in that program, including how to be amazing without really trying, which is something that guys are really raving about. So go ahead and check out the new program. It's over at www.mountaintoppodcast.com front slash invincible. And until I talk to you next go round, this is Scott McKay from sunny San Antonio, Texas. Be good out there, gentlemen. The Mountaintop Podcast is copyright 2016 by X and Y Communications. All rights reserved worldwide. Be sure to visit www.mountaintoppodcast.com for show notes. And while you're there, sign up for the X and Y Communications newsletter. This is Ed Roy Odom speaking for the Mountaintop Podcast. Podcast.